Well, today we will begin a study through the book of 2 Peter. We are moving along through the New Testament. And it's only taken us a little over four years to get to 2 Peter here today. On May 16th, actually, 2010, we began this weekly Bible study starting in the Gospel of John on May 16th, 2010. And here we are, 2 Peter. So let's jump right on into it. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. So, of course, since we are studying 2 Peter, we know that this is, of course, Peter's second uh, epistle or letter, if you will. Uh, we see here that the word bondservant is used again. Um, we know that Paul, James, John, and Jude all started their letters in this way, calling themselves bondservants, that is. And we've talked enough in the past about that word bondservant in our study, so I won't go into it here this morning. But the interesting thing to me, though, here is that all of those men called themselves bondservants. In other words, they all knew who they were in Jesus Christ. Their lives were devoted to that calling that Jesus had placed upon their lives. And Peter mentions here, too, that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. That title, apostle, speaks of one that is a, a delegate, a messenger, one sent forth with orders. Okay, so a delegate a messenger, one sent forth with orders. And Peter was, of course, one that was sent forth directly by Jesus Christ himself um, while Jesus was still here on the earth, as opposed to the Apostle Paul, for example, who was also sent forth directly by Jesus Christ himself, but it was after Jesus had ascended back into heaven that Jesus sent Paul forth as an apostle. And then as verse 1 continues, we see to whom Peter addresses his second epistle here when he says, To those who have, who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, if you've been born again, and if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, then this letter is to you. It's to me, right? Uh, the faith that we have obtained is precious and has come about in our lives by or because of the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then verse 2 continues, Grace and peace be multiplied you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, let's think about this verse for a minute. We must understand that Grace and peace are only found, like it says there, in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus, right? If a person does not have the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, then nor will they know what true grace and peace really are. And where do we obtain the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ? Well, we know we obtain that knowledge only in our Bibles, the Word of God. And as you study the Bible or simply just read it, you can know or you come to know that God is a God of grace. 
you find out that he, he loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. That's his grace. And you grow in the knowledge of that grace. And that's how God demonstrated his grace toward mankind by giving us of his son. Also, as you read and you study the Bible, you come to know that Jesus is the prince of peace. He is our peace who has broken down every wall, right? God has given us grace and Jesus gives us peace. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So the knowledge of Jesus brings us that kind of peace. And again, we find that knowledge of Jesus and we grow in that knowledge of Jesus through the word of God. Ephesians chapter two, verse 14 says of Jesus that he himself is our peace. So again, how do we know all of this? Well, again, it's all contained in the pages of our Bibles. And the more you increase of your, in your knowledge of God's word, the more you will have grace and peace multiplied to you, as verse 2 there says. Then verse 3, speaking of Jesus, says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So notice there again the importance of having a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus is the key. Okay, One of my favorite songs that I often sing is a song that says, Knowing you, Jesus. Knowing you. There is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. And, and it makes me come to, to realize and, and to, to keep reminding myself that everything is wrapped up in knowing Jesus the knowledge of Jesus Christ in your life. You see, there is no greater thing than knowing Jesus. By His divine power, verse 3 tells us here that we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything we need to know about living a godly life is all wrapped up in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Okay? And also, right, do you see here at the end of verse 3 that Jesus has called us by glory and virtue? That word glory there speaks of splendor and brightness. It speaks of magnificence, excellence, preeminence, dignity. This is Jesus, and we are called by him. He is full of glory, splendor, and magnificence. He is virtuous. That word virtue there is a word that means moral goodness. Okay, That's a crucial word for us to understand as we go through this study today. Moral goodness is virtue. So it's because of the goodness of Jesus that we are called. And again, let's not forget that his divine power now works in us and we are to be living as if it does. We are to be living in a godly manner as we walk through this life, right? But wait, like the commercial says, right? But wait, there's more. Verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. 
that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Okay, so because of his divine power, because of his splendor, because of his glory, we can now be partakers of the divine nature. And this should get us excited. This should motivate us or at least instruct and inspire us to live godly lives. Right. Because of Jesus, we have it tells us there we have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But if you're still walking in the lust of the world, then something is indeed wrong. Okay, you've heard of cause and effect, right? Well, Jesus is the cause and the effect should be that we now live in a godly life, in a godly manner, right? Verse five, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Now, hold on right there. Pause for a moment, because I want I want you to take a look back at verse one again. And let's remind ourselves of who this letter is written to. It says it's written to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So you have now obtained this precious faith in Jesus Christ. So what do we do? Do we stop there? We've obtained this precious faith in Jesus Christ. Is, what, is that it? Is that the end of it? Do we stop there? Is that all we do? No. Back down in verse 5 again, we're told to add something to that faith. We are to add virtue. Again, what is virtue? Virtue is moral goodness. Look the word up in the Greek, right? It's the word moral goodness, right? In Jesus Christ, we are to be morally good. Now, I want you to mark this page and turn toward the back of your Bible to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. And let's start reading in verse 5. It says, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of, wa of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So pause right there for a minute. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He gives of the fountain of water of life to the one who thirsts for it. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. In John chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus said, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up 
into everlasting life. And Jesus also said in John 6.35 that he who believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus is speaking of everlasting life. And in order to receive everlasting life, one must come to Jesus with a strong thirst, right? And he will satisfy that thirst. And verse 7 there of Revelation 21 says that in order to inherit all things, we must overcome this world. Then Jesus will be our God and we will be his sons and daughters. But the reason that I had you turn to Revelation 21 here is because we are to add to our faith virtue, right, which is moral goodness. We must live in a righteous manner. And verse eight tells us here of the people that live contrary to that righteous manner. It says, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So you see, moral goodness does matter. So that's why it's important that we add to our faith when we come to Jesus Christ, we add something to that faith. We grow and we become a virtuous person, a morally good person. As we flip back to 2 Peter chapter 1 now, in verse 4, Peter speaks of exceedingly great and precious promises, right? He speaks of us being partakers of the divine nature and all because Jesus has made it so that we can escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Without Jesus, we never would have been able to do that. There's no hope that we ever would be able to escape the corruption that is in this world through lust. Right. But again, we must add to our faith virtue. And, and if we don't become virtuous, if we don't become morally good, then we don't inherit the promises and we end up in that second death, right? That place where all those people that don't come to Christ, that don't come to him by faith and then grow in that faith. But again, we see that there's something we got to add to faith. Okay. We add virtue first of all, right? So then we, we are to add Again, something to our faith, the moral goodness, the virtue. Then verse 5 continues and says, to virtue, knowledge. Okay, so we've talked already about the knowledge of Christ and all that is contained within the knowledge of Christ. But we are to add even more knowledge. Okay, and I'm going to borrow from a future study here, but look up just one chapter to chapter 3 of Second Peter. In chapter 3 here of 2 Peter, and looking down at verse 17, it says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest any of you fall from your own steadfastness. Now again, let's remind ourselves, who is this letter written to? It's written to those who have obtained like precious faith. So it's written to believers who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he tells them in verse 17 there, Beware, since you know this beforehand, 
lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away by the error of the wicked. So it tells us that Christians that have come to Christ can be led away by the error of the, of the wicked. They can fall from steadfastness, right? But grow, verse 18 says, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So do you see that there? Don't let yourself fall away from a steadfastness. Don't be led away by the error of the wicked. Instead, what we all need to do is to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've talked about it in times past. We see in second, uh, in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, if we're, it says here we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we see in Titus 2.11 that grace actually teaches us something. It teaches us to live soberly and righteously in this present age. It teaches us to deny ungodliness. So we always need to be adding knowledge in our lives about God's grace and about Jesus Christ, right? We always should be growing in Him. And the Word of God warns us there to be steadfast. Don't fall away from that steadfastness. We must keep on walking by faith, walking in virtue, which is moral goodness, and increasing in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Then, back in chapter 1 here of Second Peter, verse 6 gives us even more instructions, right? Verse 6 says, To knowledge we are to add self-control. So pause right there. Now, I know I'm going very slowly through these verses, but trust me, it'll be okay. Stay calm. Have some self-control, okay? <laughs> for, well, for one thing, right, what is self-control? Okay, well, for one thing, we know that it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, don't we? It is listed for us in Galatians chapter 5 as one of the fruits of the Spirit. So a person that has been born again of the Spirit has the Spirit of the Lord within them and is able to live their life within self-control. Okay? Now, let's mark this page again and turn in our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter seven. First Corinthians chapter seven. And let's start reading in verse one. It says, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, this is the apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians and he says, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Okay, so very straightforward fact here from the word of God. Unless you're married, you must abstain from sex. Otherwise, it's what God in his word here calls sexual immorality. Now, we just read a little bit ago in Revelations chapter 21, where it says that the sexually immoral people have their place in the lake of fire, 
right? So God is serious about this thing. Verse 3 says, Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. So what's that telling us? After you're married, have all the sex you want, right? Because in a marriage, as it pertains to sex, verse 4 tells us the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of what? Self-control. So there's the words that we're talking about right there, self-control. And sex is just one scriptural example here where God gives us where we need to operate in self-control. In accordance with God's word, sex is made for marriage between a husband and a wife, right? Now, of course, there are other areas in our lives that we need to operate in self-control, right? For example, when we feel ourselves getting frustrated or on the verge of getting angry, we need to operate in self-control. When we're tempted to spend money outside of our means, shop till we drop, right? Self-control needs to be used. So there's various areas in our lives where we need to be living lives that are, you know, under self-control. So as we flip back to 2 Peter chapter 1, all of these attributes that we're speaking of are the attributes of a godly person, right? A heaven-bound person. And then we see at the end of verse 6 in 2 Peter chapter 1, the instructions on how we are to live, right, continue, right? They, they keep going on here. We, we, we now are to, told to add something to self-control. It says to self-control, perseverance. So what is perseverance? Well, the original Greek text of the New Testament for that word is a word that means steadfastness. Like we jumped up and we looked at chapter 3, I believe it was, where we saw that we need to remain steadfastness, steadfast, right? So that word perseverance means steadfastness, constancy, endurance. It can be very easily be translated as patience as well, right? You know, um, I say this to you over and over, but it's not going to be easy to continue to walk by faith in Jesus Christ, to live out the life. Jesus said it would be hard. Paul tells us in his writings that it's hard, and Peter tells us that it's not easy. We must endure, though, till the end. Then, and only then, will we inherit the promises. And at the end of verse 6 here, we see that we need to add something to perseverance. It says to perseverance, godliness. And godliness means that we live a life that is reverent toward God. We're not a people who have one foot in the world while professing to be followers of Jesus Christ. We don't see that in Scripture, right? We are instead, we're called to be reverent in our behavior. Webster's Dictionary defines the word reverent as devoted and devout. This is how we are to live our lives, devoted and devout. Right. 
Does that describe your life as it pertains to God, as it pertains to our obedience to the word of God? Does this describe us? Then in verse 7, it says, To godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. So brotherly kindness is very self-explanatory, right? It's the Greek words philadelphia, right? Of course, the English translation of that word being Philadelphia. But in Ephesians 4.32, we are to be kind to one another, we're told, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. And there's so many areas in our lives where this needs to be put into practice. We get plenty of opportunities to have to forgive others for things, right? And when you see that word love there at the end of verse 7, it's the word agape. This is God's kind of love. It takes brotherly love and kindness to a whole nother level, okay? This is the kind of love that shows great affection toward others. This is the kind of love that God demonstrated when he gave us his only begotten son to redeem us from the power of sin and death. So we have gone through a list of things here thus far this morning. It all starts by understanding one thing in the very beginning that we have obtained a like precious faith. Our faith is precious. Okay. And to that faith, we need to add something. And that's virtue right? Moral goodness. And to that moral goodness, we are to add even more knowledge, right? We are to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And to this knowledge, we are to add self-control. And to that self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. So there is a way we are to live as followers of Jesus Christ, isn't there? We don't come to Jesus Christ for fire insurance. You don't just come saying, okay, I have faith in Jesus. That's it. I don't add nothing to my faith. I live the way I want from now on. I go back to living however I want. That's not it, right? For when we come to Jesus Christ, as the phrase goes, we play, we play for keeps. In other words, we are sold out. It's all or nothing, right? A born-again person is a person whose life exemplifies the fact that in Jesus Christ, they are a new creation. Something has happened. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. This is a person that will inherit the promise of eternal life. Okay, don't allow yourself to be deceived. The Word of God is very plain, very clear on who is born again and how that born again person lives their lives, right? So in all these things we've studied thus far, verse 8 goes on to tell us that for if these things are yours and abound, you will neither you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So again, we're speaking to a born-again person, a person that has come to faith in Jesus Christ, okay? This is not just a person that, you know, maybe was raised up a Christian, attended church as a child, maybe a little as an adult and has walked away or whatever. But in reality, this is a person that 
that doesn't live like the rest of the world around them. Okay, that, That's what the Bible is speaking of here in verse 8. Verse 8 says that this person that lives out this list of things that we've been talking about here this morning, that's the person that has obtained that precious faith. This person will abound. This person will be a fruitful Christian, bearing all the fruits of the Holy Spirit, a reverent person, a morally good person, a godly person. And the one who professes Christianity but lacks these things, as verse 9 says, is blind and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So this person lives like the blood of Jesus is just a common thing, as Hebrews talks about, right? We must be diligent in our walks as born-again believers in Jesus Christ. We must be adding to our faith these things. We must be growing in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord. Verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Okay, so if you do these things that we've talked about here this morning, you will never stumble. And what else will happen for you? For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So look, as it pertains to entering into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it does matter that you live in this manner that we're talking about, that we, that we don't fall from our steadfastness, that we don't get led away by the lust of this world and the things of this world. And the Holy Spirit through Peter is reminding us of these things this morning. That's all. He's just reminding us of these things. Verse 12 tells us, for this reason... He says, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Do you see that? I will remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. So he says, even though you already know this, and even as I teach all this this morning, I'm sure you know this, right? But he says, even though you know this, I'm going to be diligent to remind you of this, to keep you mindful of this, right? But Peter was confident in something here, and that is that his readers already knew these truths, and they were established in them, but he still knew it was necessary to remind them of it. And it's necessary that you and me, on a regular basis, are reminded of these things as well. Verse 13 says, yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you what's peter talking about here his tent he's talking about his body right he's still on the earth he's still dwelling inside of his body we understand we know that these bodies of ours are temporary structures that we'll leave these bodies behind someday peter knew all of this about himself as well and he says in verse 14 knowing that shortly i must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. So you see, Peter was told by the Lord how he would die someday. 
and Peter had denied the Lord three times. Jesus was dead and buried, and then Jesus rose again from the dead, and then Jesus had a private meeting with Peter on the beach. And in this meeting, Jesus said to Peter, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you, carry you where you do not wish. Okay, that was the Lord telling Peter how he was going to die, like Peter mentions here. And Peter's life would end by him being crucified upside down. But Peter walked the walk. All the way till the end. He stayed steadfast. And he's reminding everyone else here. The Holy Spirit through Peter is reminding all of us that we need to live godly lives. We need to be reverent people. We need to persevere all the way till the end. We need to keep walking by faith. And we are blessed today because of Peter's diligent life. We have the gospel written down. We have instructions on how we are to live. And Peter made sure of that. Look at verse 15. He said, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Well, he was real careful, wasn't he? Because all these years later, we still have it. We still have a reminder of all these things, right? We have our Bibles. And again, this is how we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ is by digging into our Bibles, studying the Word of God, just simply reading it. Have a routine in your life where you read the Word of God. Otherwise, we can easily be deceived and we can get off track And we can fall back into the lust of this world. Again, I mentioned it last week, but oftentimes we think of the word lust as just having to do with sexual things. But there's all kinds of lust. There's the lust of the eye. There's the lust of the flesh, right? There's all kinds of things that can distract us in this life and get us off course. We came to that place at some point in our lives where we obtained that precious faith, like verse 1 says. But it's easy, instead of adding to that faith all these other things we've seen here, it's easy sometimes to get off track and you're not growing anymore in the Lord. So this is just a reminder for us. Again, I always tell you this, it's not condemnation, it's conviction. When, When I read the Bible like this and I see that this is how I need to grow, this is how I should live, it convicts me to say, Lord, help me. I want to I go deeper. I, I want to walk this walk, Lord. I want to persevere till the end, okay? Let's pray. Father God, thank you again for your word. Thank you for your spirit who indwells us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy that is new every morning. Lord, as we woke up this morning, we woke up to your mercy being new in our lives. And Lord, we have seen in your word, we understand from your word how we are to live, Lord. Forgive us our sins, Lord. Help us to forgive others that have sinned against us. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil, Lord. We know that by your spirit indwelling us, Lord, you desire to lead us into good things, Lord. But we must turn our eyes upon you each and every day. 
We must die daily to the desires and the nature of our flesh. Lord, take up the cross on a daily basis and follow after you. Thank you for your word and for reminding us of all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.